0: Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday. Good to be here. Happy to be here. Glad you're here. Awesome show uh, planned for you today. Uh, It's going to be me, you, and Steve Kim. Uh, We're going to talk some NFL football. I'm going to give you your daily dose of Dion uh it's going to be a fascinating show with basically two separate fire starters one scripted one unscripted uh i've got some interesting thoughts about the national football league and i have some very interesting thoughts about deon sanders and what happened to the colorado buffaloes this weekend and what it means uh for the the cult of Dion. uh so stay tuned for that you don't want to miss that we'll do that at the back end of the show that'll just be uh, me and you, uh, but I need you all right now to help me uh, fight the algorithm. I need you to start hitting the likes button. I need you to resubscribe or make sure you're subscribed. make sure your notifications are still working, that you're getting the notifications that the show is is airing and a new show has been released. YouTube, not a friend of this show. I need you guys to help me uh, fight the algorithm by hitting the likes, getting in the comments, getting in the live chats, and make sure you're getting those notifications. If you're listening over Apple, here's what I need you to do. We've been spammed uh, with one-star reviews. Uh, (laughs) The conversation uh, that we had last week on this show about Israel and Hamas and Palestine and the Middle East and just like hey pump the brakes Uh, That did not go over well. And so we got spammed with one-star reviews So I'm asking you those of you in the fearless army to do a very small thing to help us fight the algorithm that what what we're being dealt what we're dealing with over Apple uh, give me that five-star review And then write a review. Take the time, take five minutes, write a review, give me the five-star review, but then write a review. That's the only way we can fight the algorithms that are working against us and working against what we believe, what I believe is the most honest conversation going on on any media space, on TV or on the internet or wherever. We're trying to have an honest conversation and they don't want us to have it and they don't want you to know about it. So the thing I need you to do is get involved in the fight with these little small things. Apple, hit the five-star review, write a review. I need 20 reviews written today, and trust me, today's show's uh, gonna be worth it. Before I get into the fire starter, uh, I wanna tell you guys about the organization that lights my fire every day. You guys know who it is, it's Preborn. According to a recent study of hundreds of post-abortive women, 60% 60% of women reported that they would have preferred to give birth if they had received more support from others and had more financial security. And that's where pre-born steps up and steps in. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between life and death of their precious child. You see, the reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision and are being told that their babies are just a clump of cells. Preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance at living. When you support preborn, you not only support women, you empower them. Your donation of $28 will help a woman to make a choice that she won't have to regret for the rest of her life and gives her the ultimate gift, life. Your love can save a life. Just dial pound two five zero and say the keyword baby. That's pound two five zero baby. Or you can give the Jason Whitlock way. Visit preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. Guys, you know what to do as fearless soldiers. We gotta support preborn. It's part of our overall worldview and mindset. Life begins at conception. Okay, Uh, you guys ready for this uh, fire starter? and by the way, I had someone complain about the little crackling fire, fire noise. We killed that. I still think we got the flames at the bottom of the screen for those of you that watch on YouTube, but we're back to playing music. I had someone calling and complain about, hey man, stop the crackling sound, it makes me think. Anyway, we fixed that last week, but now I'm telling you. But let me take a sip of water before I get into this fire starter. I want to make sure my pipes are right so that I deliver this uh, properly. So, yesterday, I'm watching the Tennessee Titans, and I'm watching Malik Willis, uh, the quarterback-up quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, and Malik Willis is struggling mightily. Malik Willis is out there. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has done something to his ankle. He's been carted off. Ryan Tannehill wasn't that good either uh, for the Titans in this game, but... Malik Willis has a chance uh, at the end of the game to make it competitive, and the guy looks like someone who has never played quarterback a day in his life. And I'm like, oh, this is a second-year player. How can he be this bad? He's holding on to the ball every single time. Jadavian Clowney is padding his stat uh, uh, sack total, <laughs> all of this because – Uh, Malik Willis just will not let go of the ball. And I'm like, this guy hasn't developed at all. This guy looks like someone who, again, has never played quarterback in a peewee football game, let alone an NFL game. And I'm like, how could this happen? And it made me start thinking about, hey, what am I watching? As I watch all of these NFL games, And I keep seeing all of this poor quarterback play that Jason Brown comes on the show and talks about all the time. And and yesterday it hit me watching Malik Willis and it made me just open my eyes and take a step back and look at the entire NFL over Sunday and go, hey, what am I watching? This, This play is incredibly sloppy. Teams are struggling to score points like I've never seen before. Quarterback play is horrendous, particularly in the red zone. And so then I went back and I, I gave it some thought and it inspired me uh, for this firestarter. The NFL reminds me of the smartest guys in the room, the documentary that chronicled the collapse of Enron. Roger Goodell is Jeffrey Skilling, the CEO who appeared to save Enron with a devious accounting scheme that allowed the company to claim projected earnings as immediate profits. Corporate media and market analysts ignored the obvious fraud for years, celebrating Skilling and Enron founder Kenneth Lay as visionary geniuses. Eventually, Enron filed bankruptcy and federal prosecutors convicted skilling and lay of securities fraud. The smartest guys in the room proved to be be not so smart. A similar comeuppance awaits Roger Goodell. He will go down in history as the man who oversaw the fall of professional football. Nothing is more overvalued than the NFL. This year's product is the worst the game has ever produced. The league's most interesting storyline is a manufactured love story between America's top pop star, Taylor Swift, and a vaccinated tight end, Travis Kelsey. The on-field product is sloppy and uninteresting. This weekend's slate of games produced just two teams that could score more than 26 points. The Dolphins scored 42 points in a rout of the Panthers, and the Jaguars put up 37 points in a blowout of the Colts. The league's Sunday night showcase between the Giants and the Bills mercifully ended 14 to nine with the Bills scoring two fourth quarter touchdowns. Two weeks ago, six NFL teams failed to score a single touchdown. How about this? The Tennessee Titans have scored fewer than 30 points in 24 straight games. NFL teams are averaging just 2.32 touchdowns touchdowns per game, the lowest average in 18 years. Individual teams are kicking 2.12 field goals per game, the highest average since the 1970s. The average of 1.84 field goals made is the highest in league history. Doesn't that strike you as odd? It's odd to me. Over the past four decades, the league has implemented rule after rule to increase scoring and touchdowns. Bump and run coverage has been basically outlawed. You can't blow up a receiver running across the middle. Can't blindside block a defender. You almost have to ask permission to sack a quarterback. Receivers now wear gloves that make it, make catching a pass far easier than at any time in football history. Referees love calling pass interference and illegal contact. Quarterbacks routinely complete 70% of their passes. For all the trouble, rule changes and alleged quarterback wizardry, all we're getting is more field goals and 16 to 14 snooze fest. Taylor Swift is the biggest star in the NFL. Swift and Deion Sanders replace Tom Brady as the game's top ambassadors. This is Enron 2.0. It's a bad product camouflaged by the social media matrix and corporate media influencers more concerned with maintaining access than objectively evaluating the league. The NFL moved Thursday night football and the Sunday ticket to Amazon and YouTube respectfully because ownership realizes it's far easier to manipulate and control viewership with internet algorithms. Why is the product tanking? Because high-level football requires practice. Teams no longer practice. Under the pretense of protecting players from head injuries, teams no longer practice. They train, they condition, they conduct walkthroughs. They do not practice, not in pads, and not in a real way. Players are doing far less and getting paid way more. Their stockbrokers, pitching penny stocks as blue chip. This reminds me of Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street. NBC, Fox, ESPN, CBS, Amazon, and YouTube. They're the guys hanging on Belfort's every word in the classic scene from the Wolf of Wall Street. You guys remember that scene? My killers, my killers, who will not take no for an answer. My warriors who will not hang up the phone until their client either buys or effing dies. And then he does this whole thing, beating on the side of his head. It's one of the greatest scenes in movie history. That's what we have going on with these television networks. They're pitching this bad product to everybody. And and they got their salesmen out there selling you penny stocks and pretending like it's blue chip. They want football fans to believe that Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, and all the rest are the second coming of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Dan Marito, and John Elway. <clears throat> Not true. You have to actually practice to play at the level of the all-time greats. You can't build a cohesive offensive line if you don't practice. You can't establish a consistent and reliable running game if you don't practice. The players don't care about the product. They care about their brands and their money. They're entitled. They feel sorry for themselves. I don't blame them. They watch and listen to sports talk shows and podcasts that paint them as victims and treat them as idols above criticism. The people analyzing the game are liars. They won't tell you what they see, what's obvious. The game is in rapid decline. Most of the quarterbacks simply cannot read a defense. You learn to read a defense in practice. Teams no longer practice. You don't need to read a defense or firmly grasp the playbook in order to excel or get paid in the modern NFL. The coaches take the plays to the wrist of the quarterback and then tell the quarterback what to do in an earpiece installed in his helmet. You don't have to win in the postseason to secure a major contract, every starting NFL quarterback eventually gets paid. The problem is only going to get worse. College quarterbacks are now earning millions of dollars through name, image, and likeness deals. You can secure a high six figure deal before you even play a college game. The entitlement and brattiness of the players are major turnoffs. Athletes are as unlikable and as as difficult to relate to as Hollywood actors. Football is trending in the wrong direction. The product is awful. The referees exercise more influence over outcomes than anyone on the field. Fantasy sports and gambling will only mask the uninspiring play for so long. The smartest guys in football are just as stupid as the smartest guys at Enron. That's my fire starter. That is my fire starter. The NFL is in free fall and no one cares or no one is willing to talk about it. I do think people care. I do think people see it, but everyone's been paid off and everyone's basically lying about the game and what we're witnessing. It's no different the thing with Enron was going on, it was going on for years, and anybody with a brain should have been able to see, like, oh my God, this whole thing is a fugazi. But they sold it anyway, and they sold Kenneth Lay, and they sold Jeffrey Skilling, and these guys made millions. And then it all collapsed, and people lost their retirement funds, people lost everything. Tied up, and people lost their jobs, their careers, and some of these guys at Enron went to prison. The, the Kenneth Lay, <laughs> He died before they sentenced him. He got convicted, but he died before they sentenced him. I I'm telling you, one day people are going very soon are going to snap out of it and realize what we're looking at in the NFL. All these overhyped quarterbacks making 40 and 50 million dollars a year, they can't play a lick, can't read a defense, can't you can't criticize them, you can't they don't practice, they don't have to do anything and they're all getting ridiculously overpaid. And you, many of us, not you in particular, because many of you have quit watching the NFL, but eventually the sheep that are still spending all their money, still thinking, fooled into thinking they're watching something great, they're going to snap out of it. I don't know if I'll, I can see it, but I have to watch it so I can talk about it, so I can analyze it, so I can tell you what's going on in the culture. What I'm telling you is, short the NFL. It's a stock that will collapse at some point. That's my fire that's my post-firestarter, Firestarter. Uh, Guys, I want to tell you before we bring on Steve Kim and talk about this, I want to tell you guys about uh, an organization that has jumped on board as a sponsor that I'm all fired up about. Now I'm a lifetime member. There's an organization out there that still backs Obamacare, gun control and extreme transgender policies that endanger our children. And while they claim to be bipartisan, the truth is that last year, 95 percent of their donations went to Democrats. That organization is. AARP, and it doesn't represent the values of American seniors. Fortunately, there's a conservative alternative, AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, proudly champions Americans' rights to free speech, religious liberty, and the Second Amendment. AMAC is the leading conservative advocacy and benefits organization, and defends parents' rights to protect their children. Joining gives you access to special low rates on cell phones and plans and health and wellness products, travel and lodging, vision, dental, and prescription drugs. So join today. Let's send AARP a strong message that they don't represent conservative seniors. Join AMAC today at amac.us fearless. That's amac, A-M-A-C slash fearless. I am a lifetime member. I put my money where my mouth is. You guys should do the same. We need a group that's out there fighting for the things that we believe in. AARP is fighting for the things we don't believe in. Join AMAC. All right, uh, you can email me and us at fearlessblaze show at gmail.com. Keep slamming that like button. Again, if you're on Apple, I need the five-star review. And I need about 20 of you to write a review of today's show and the show in general on Apple. Get in the comments on YouTube. I'll be there reading those as well. Steve Kim, The Korean Cosell,
1: next. It's my obligation, hate discrimination, hands for freedom.
2: Levels to the Hall of Fame, previously on Fearless.
0: Deion thinks there should be tears to the Hall of Fame. Bill Cower says there shouldn't be tears to the Hall of Fame. On this, I completely agree with Deion Sanders. I know I'm putting you and others in a tough spot. but no, you're not. Hey, man, there's some guys, no, you're not. There's some guys no, you're not. making it into the Hall of Fame that aren't no, on y'all's level, Sap.
1: Exactly. There's levels to this shit. And I guess Bill Cowell doesn't know anything about that because he lives in La La Pittsburgh land and up there at CBS. I don't know what the hell he's thinking, but it's definitely levels to this shit. Most people, and I don't say this to
0: disparage, but I'm just keeping it real. Most people covering the NFL, whether man or woman, they don't know
1: what they're looking at. No, period. I will agree with you. One thousand percent have no clue have no clue, yes. I, I will agree
2: yeah. with you. All right, welcome back.
0: Uh, time for some Korean Cosell. Uh, Cosell, uh, I think the NFL play is sloppy. And it's, it's, it's been rigged to produce this all this offense and touchdowns. It's not doing that. There's a problem in the NFL. I, I, I'm not jo- enjoying it nearly as much as I used to. Uh, yesterday, only two teams scored four touchdowns or more. Two weeks ago, I, I look back, six teams did not score a touchdown. And so... Right now, they're averaging 21.7 points per game, uh, which is not that far off. You know, three or four years ago, they were averaging 24.8 in the 2020 season. Uh, 2018, 23 points a game. And people are, here. well, just it's just one or two points less, blah, blah. But when you go look at teams are kicking more field goals, they're attempting more field goals, they're not scoring as many touchdowns. As they used to, and with given the way the rules are, it just doesn't make sense. And to me, it just speaks to what JB talk, as Jason Brown's been talking about on this show, and his own
2: products just not as good. Wow, Coach Jason Belock, have you come <laughs> around? Uh, I, I mean, now you're even saying that Patrick Mahomes may actually be overrated. I, I mean, wow. Wow, how the the worm has turned. But I think this goes back to it. They've legislated this in a lot of ways. This goes back to a lot of teams basically not caring about the NFL preseason. Um, And and I kind of draw an analogy to what's happening in boxing at the world-class level. A lot of fighters, most fighters simply don't fight enough. So what you have is perpetual ring rust, and the fighters that don't fight they're never quite fully on their game. I mean, Jason, this particular year, every major fight that us boxing fans or people really care about, and there's been a real trend that's alarming. Every fighter that's coming off a year-plus layoff against other world-class fighters who've been a little bit more active has gotten absolutely thrashed because they they don't understand. You got to have a callus. You got to have a conditioning. You got to be used to getting hit in the face with eight ounce or ten ounce gloves. My mantra is very simple, and more and more people on boxing are now picking up to it. Activity matters. Same thing with football. If you go the whole preseason and you don't even allow your guys to get hit for real in a game situation in the preseason and then suddenly, week number one, hey, guys, play ball, it's not going to work. This game is about physicality but also rhythm and timing. So when the quarterbacks don't play – Right. Well, what do you think is going to happen to your pass game? The other thing is this, Jason. Everything comes back to basics. And if you're not running the ball at all. A back end, they're not surgeons. They're not taught to be. And with the spread offense, I believe that coordinators on that side of the ball have caught up to it. So when it comes to the RPO, things of that nature, they now know how to defend them. So this whole thing is I don't know what you do outside of getting better quarterbacks. I think there's a little bit of hope on the way in a sense that the upcoming quarterback class, I think, is really strong. But again, are the mechanisms going to be there to allow them to flourish? It,
0: you're never going to have a better well, quarterback prospect than John Elway. They're never going to invent a better quarterback prospect than John Elway. And so, if you move John Elway from college to the pros, and then you limit his practice time, his padded practices, and all of that, he just doesn't become John Elway. Same thing. You take a Tom Brady who wasn't a great prospect, but if he's not dropped into a system that Bill Belichick has, where they can actually get time on the field to develop him, he can get the reps in. Even, even I'm mean, just because what happens now. This is at the college and the pro level. When I played college football, we'd have these marathon two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour practices. And, and for every rep the first team took, the second team took the exact same amount of reps. It went First team, then second team. First team, then every play was just like that. And second team would run the exact same play that we just ran as the first teamers. All of that is out the window now. Only the first team guys really get a sufficient amount of work in practice. At the collegiate level, and that's even more so at the professional level. The greatness has to be developed. It's not being developed, it's a come as you are league. To me, I look at Lamar Jackson, he's, he hasn't added anything to his game. He's the exact same guy as he was when he entered the league. Could you imagine, to go with a basketball analogy, if Magic Johnson remained the same player year after year after year after year, every offseason, Ma- oh, Magic's done added the baby hook, Magic's worked on his three-point shooting, Magic's done this, Magic's done... That's not what we're seeing in professional athletics anymore. Guys aren't developing because they're not
2: practicing. Yeah, Jason, what's interesting is I got to ask you a question. On a Sunday afternoon... In a Sunday morning for me. Do you watch an individual game of your choice? Or do you watch the red zone? Because I'm a big red zone guy. And so it's, it's a little bit different. So you're constantly seeing the highlights. And you're not watching a game. Now, I do notice when you watch a game, you're like, geez, this is bad. Now, with the red zone, it hides a lot of things. Because they're switching to every other game when something happens. What's your preference?
0: I don't like red zone. And, mm, and this okay. year... Because now that I've switched to YouTube, and I don't know why, maybe they said I had this with DirecTV or, or with the, the Sunday ticket on TV. But now on YouTube, I go with the four box. I got four games on my okay. t- television screen. They're big screen. It's, you know, relative, I think 60-inch TV. So they're all pretty good size. And so I watch four games at a time during the afternoon deal. And and sometimes even in the second half of the afternoon day, I'll watch four games. But but that's how I watch. And I do like to watch games because I want to know what led up to all these decisions and how right. they got to the red zone and all that other stuff. So I, I'm getting a pretty, I think, accurate portrayal of what I'm seeing and what, what I see from the quarterback position is just it's just not good for no. for, for virtually any of these guys.
2: What what I find interesting is that on the red zone, they announce that when the games get into the fourth quarter, they call it the witching hour. And there's two things that I notice. A lot of games are one possession. There's not a lot of blowouts in the National Football League consistently. Most of these games are fairly close. The other thing is, Jason, I don't notice a lot of 28-24, 31-28 games anymore. They're all kind of 14-10-ish. And I get the sense, like, you're trying to uh, tell us here, it's not great defense, it's mediocre offense. And there's another trend that I do see when I watch games. Solid to mediocre quarterbacks can operate within the 20s to the 20s. They rack up the stats, what I call empty calories. You know what the great quarterbacks do? In the red zone, they get the ball across the goal line. There's a lot of field goal kickers. We're going to come to a point where Justin Tucker – He might one day just win the MVP like Mark Mosley did back in the early 80s. Because you look at the Ravens, and I know that it's a little hyperbole to say that's the most valuable player for the Ravens. You know what? I'm not – I don't think that's such a crazy thought anymore because he's such a weapon now for a team like the Ravens. When you get the ball inside, let's say, the 50-yard line, you're kind of in scoring position. But I do find it interesting that I don't see those surgical throwers anymore that can – because when you get to that 20-yard line, the red zone, it becomes surgery because the field becomes compressed. Or if you have the ability to run the ball with power. Okay, but here's the thing, Jason. Nobody really does – not a lot of teams do that anymore. But we have to give it to the Dolphins and Mike McDaniels. That's actually the one team that's worth watching offensively. They are a lot of fun.
0: Well, be, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell are problems that can't be solved because of their just individual speed. Steve, I want to give you a couple of stats to uh, to think about. Of the top, we're, we're right now on pace for the most field goals made per hmm. team, per game on average. We're on pace to set an NFL record. And of the top 14 seasons as it relates to Average field goals made per team per game. 2023 is number one at 1.84. But these other 13 all transpire between 2008 and 2023. So it's all in this little bunch group where, again, where we've manipulated and changed all the rules. We've made it easier for quarterbacks. We've cut down on practice time. and, And now... Just like teams get to the red zone, people play some zone coverage, and quarterbacks have no idea what to do. It, 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 you play a little zone coverage, and then you shadow these running quarterbacks with one linebacker, and no one knows what to do. I, I, I wanna, we, we have this other uh, stat that relates to uh, the top six seasons as it relates to field goal attempts. And that's all from the 1970s. Mm. 2023 is the sixth highest, but the other top five are all from the 1970s when the league realized, like, man, we're kicking a lot of field goals. We want more touchdowns. Let's start massaging the rules to create more touchdowns. And and so that happened. But at that same time, they weren't cutting down practice time. And put I, I just football is a game best played by the desperate. I've said that for years. And these contracts these guys are getting are reducing the level of desperation. They're going to bed on silk sheets, and they don't want to wake up and get in that ring or do that that, that five-mile jog that Marvin Hagler talked about, you know, how hard it is to do that fight when you're sleeping on silk sheets. That's what we have going on. They're, they're overpaid. They're oversatiated. They're too entitled. They've been coddled and pampered all throughout their lives. I, 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 this, this game, the product that they're serving us, is, is, I'm not an old man yelling and screaming. It's just factually true. It's just not as good.
2: Uh, Jason, I have a saying about boxers today. Uh, the ones that are really inactive, which is about 99% of them. It's very simple. You either sharpen the blade or it gets dull. There is no in-between. It it truly is black or white. Okay, I don't bend on that. And a lot of older trainers that used to fight 7, 10, 11, 12 times a year, they'll tell me, Steve, we were better off doing it that way than we are now. It's the God's honest truth. In terms of safening the sport, you actually make it more, more dangerous for people because they're not conditioned for the pounding or the violence of it. These people choose to get into this. They know what they're getting into. You're not doing it against their will. Here's the interesting thing about the 70s, why they had to change the rules. And I've looked up the stats. There were times when the leading receiver in football would have about 775 yards. (laughs) I was like, that was your leading receiver. So think about this, Jason. They took away the bump and run where you had a five-yard window. You couldn't clobber people anymore. They expanded the blocking rules where the technique, you just didn't have your arms like this anymore. Right. You could actually extend your arms. So they changed it and it actually did make it a more exciting sport. Think about football today. You have receivers now that get well over a thousand yards. In fact, the most mediocre guys have like 80 catches and they get close to a thousand yards. Right. But the scoring is down. That is the very definition of empty calories. And I'm not going to lie to you, Jason. If it wasn't for Red Zone, I would probably have to watch a singular game. And I'm not going to lie to you; my head would probably be buried in that laptop watching other stuff. And that the individual game would probably be background noise. And it was never like that growing up before all this modern technology.
0: And so here's the inside football aspect of this, Steve. That I, and maybe you are aware of this, but but. For the audience, defense is primary. I'm not saying there's no strategy to defense because there is, but it leans more into emotion. yeah and so it's like can you motivate the defensive players to at an emotional pitch where they can go out and out physical the offensive side and and punish them intimidate receivers and intimidate running backs and all that other stuff? It's an emotional side. Offense is the strategic side of football, and it requires practice. So that's why defenses aren't getting hurt nearly as much by the lack of practice. But the offensive side of the fo- football needs practice, particularly the quarterbacks. And I, I, was, I started off the uh, fire starter talking about I was watching Malik Willis try to quarterback the Tennessee Titans when Tannehill went down. And this guy dropped back to pass, and he had no idea what to do. No clue. I mean, no. I mean, he'd take one look downfield, and then he'd be like, "Oh my God, my guy's covered. I, I don't know." And he he would like just freeze up and wait to get sacked. He he wouldn't. He would have been better off just throwing it out of the back of the end zone and taking the incompletion. And and you can sit here. And call him, well, he's stupid, he can't play. And my my initial reaction was, they got to get rid of this guy. And then I just thought about it more and more. I was like, I'm sure he gets zero reps in practice. Zero. Other than maybe running the scout team, he gets zero reps in practice. Why would anybody expect him to be prepared, for him to be prepared and go out there and play? He, He hasn't had any practice reps.
2: Jason, with Malik Willis, it actually goes further than that. If you watched him at Liberty, he played in a system that I would call very much a college system under Hugh Freeze. And I remember watching him, very athletic, but I said to myself, he's being he's been told to do certain things that translate to that system at the collegiate level. But in terms of dropping back and getting to the top of the pocket and reading progressions and going left to right or high low, it was going to be a process a process that may never be completed. And so you have a lot of these quarterbacks playing in a spread system, right? Uh, RPO heavy, re-adoption, that stuff, you know, at the National Football League, you can do some of it. You still, to me, have to be able to operate within the pocket. Like I saw Matt Stafford drop some dimes yesterday, and I said to myself, you know what, Jason, we better appreciate a guy like Matt Stafford. Because he does things that's old school. He threw an out route to the Cooper Cup. It was like art. And I said, wow, there's, there's like three other guys that could do that. But Jason, a couple of weeks ago during Football Palooza at Coach JB's house, we missed you, by the way, I, I, I said to Jason, I said to Coach, I said, Coach, what's with these quarterbacks holding the ball like it's 7 Mississippi? Like, I, I saw some of your most athletic quarterbacks are just sitting there taking the hardest hits, and people say, well, they're athletic. Yeah, but they're not necessarily mobile. They they are the ones that get hit a lot, and they're the ones who get injured. And, and Coach JB had a great theory. He said, Steve, because we are a, such a seven-on-seven culture where these kids from elementary school now play these tournaments the quarterbacks themselves are so used to not facing a pass rush, they do not understand. You get about 2.25 seconds on average, according to Bill Walsh, to actually throw the ball properly on time. So, Jason, next week, watch the games when the quarterbacks are getting hit. These guys are patting the ball three times. And I'm like, bro, um, you are actually living very dangerously. In the, in a lot of your sacks, protection actually decent for the first two and a half seconds. So there's actually a lack of quarterback knowledge and quarterback conditioning and quarterback coaching that goes way beyond the time these guys step into an NFL camp.
0: And, and so now, just the, if you look out into the future and, and think about the Caleb Williams coming to the NFL, and I'm telling you, I watched him against Colorado, and I was like, hey, man, I'm not sure if this guy's cr- all he's cracked up to be. But now when he comes to the NFL, either this year or next year, he will have made millions of dollars at USC and will have an attitude and a, and, and when I say attitude, he'll have a confidence, he'll have a self-confidence. He, he'll just, he's got everything figured out. He's, he's 19, 20 years old. He's made millions of dollars playing quarterback. And, and so this week when he costs them the Notre Dame game, I'm not surprised. He's not as good. As everyone says he is. I, I'm, I'm just sorry. The The college game, it's been affected by the restrictions on practice time as well. And, and uh, you know, all the rules changes and the soft end of the game. And it's easy to throw up these Madden video game numbers in college. But, but I look at Caleb Williams and I look at all of this next flock of quarterbacks coming in and everybody's talking about how great they are. I'm not. You know, they're putting up great numbers in a weakened college football environment. They all look over at the sideline right before the snap of the ball. That's what they're trained to do for someone to tell them what to think or what to do. Th- that's just not the case. We, you know, we'd signal in plays from the sidelines or run someone into the game to tell the play. And then the quarterback was he was on his own from the, from once he got the play. Then he had to figure it out from there. You're taught how to think and how to respond in the moment. That's all taken away. These guys are like little robots that malfunction the first time someone remotely disguises a coverage. I, I, I just I don't think the future's that bright with this next flock of quarterbacks. I think you're gonna see a lot more Kyler Murray's, a lot more fool's gold than actual gold.
2: <laughs> well, you know, first of all, I like Drake May and I like Michael Penix. I think they're really good and they operate in the pocket and they make NFL throws. And people say, Steve, how do you define an NFL throw? To me, any NFL throw is a pass that goes beyond 10 lines from the line of scrimmage uh, into the middle of the field in certain routes like the deep out, the comeback, the dig. Uh, Not just shovel passes, not shuttle screen, stuff like that. Here's the problem with Caleb Williams. and, And I've heard him say stuff like or it's been reported that because of the money he's making with the NIL package at USC and the L.A. market, he might stick around another year. Jason, for his own development as a quarterback, playing for Lincoln Riley, who's proven to be fool's gold when you take a quarterback from that system. But the over-reliance on USC, where their defensive game plan is, hey guys, this week, this is a defensive game plan, same as every week before. Caleb, you got to give us 50 points. So what's happening to Caleb, he's having to play hero ball every single game. And if you look at some of those interceptions that he threw in the first half, there are times when a quarterback, a great play for them is a play is completely uh, stopped and you just throw it and you're incomplete and you punt it. He doesn't have that luxury. I get the sense some of those plays that he makes are because in the back of his mind, he doesn't think his team can afford to punt because he does not trust that defense, and he is falling into some bad habits.
0: Uh, Steve, I want to ask you one other question away from this bigger overall narrative. Uh, 49ers, they lost. Uh, kicker missed the field goal that they should have won the game, and Christian McCaffrey went out. I don't think Debo Samuels played. Uh, Brock Purdy didn't put up big numbers, but I'm not blaming him. He let them down the field. They should have kicked a game-winning field goal, but they're now 5-1. and one. Philadelphia Eagles uh, lost to the Jets, got beat up and bullied uh, a bit by the Jets, and Jalen Hurst looked very normal. Uh, the question is,
2: are the Detroit Lions,
0: are they the best team in the NFC?
2: Oh, hard knocks. God, you know, for last year or so, I've been... Champ being the cause of a real football coach, Motor City Dan Campbell. And I've been shouted down. I've heard the heckling from a certain host that sits at his big desk in Nashville who didn't believe in the Lions. Jason, the Lions are for real. They are five and one. And this is what they're doing. And this is what a good team does. And, and I thought this would be an issue because now there were expectations coming into this year. They're just routinely winning games. They're winning games on the road, and they're beating the teams that they should. The Seattle game, I thought they mismanagement mismanaged it at the end. But, Jason, the biggest improvement that the Lions have made is defensively they were historically bad last year. Aaron Glenn, a lot of people were calling for his job. Defensively now, look what they did yesterday. The offense only produced 20 points. But they stifled the Bucks, held them to six points, and it felt like they were in control. Uh, it's not just Dan Campbell, but they have a general manager by the name of, I believe, is Brad Holmes. Jason, I've charted their last three, four drafts. This guy is Ozzy Newsom 2.0. From high draft choices, premium draft choices to late round selections, this guy hits. And, and if you look at both sides of the line of scrimmage, they have premium players, all pro-level players, and they have solid contributors. I think this team's going to run away with their division, and they are absolutely a threat as long as they have healthy running backs, because so that's Keeper Goff. Now, again, go back to our earlier discussion. Do running games matter, and do they help make quarterbacks better than they seem? Yes. And when Goff has had good running games, going back to Todd Gurley in that Super Bowl year, this guy can operate. He can slice and dice. Jason, Detroit is absolutely real. You, you know what I like about Detroit
0: is there was patience with Dan Campbell and there was patience with Aaron Glenn. I mean, Aaron, they had a rough defensive year last year and they stayed the course with Aaron Glenn and it's paid off. What shocked me I didn't like them drafting a running back in the first round. I was like, these guys gotta take a defensive player, the defense. But clearly they knew and thought something different. And 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 just like you, we need David Montgomery, we need a compliment to David Montgomery and the running back, the running back. And I guess they they knew that the defense was gonna be all right uh because I mean, the defense is, you know, Aiden, I I look at this Aiden Hutchinson draft. Didn't they get him at number two and they let the Jaguars take that Walker kid out of Georgia? He's completely outplayed him. Am I right?
2: Well, uh, when I think of Walker, unfortunately, I think of Sam Bowie. Because it looks to me like the Lions got Michael Jordan in that draft. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, not only can he rush the passer, he's stout in the run game. And he has like four career interceptions. This guy actually has ball skills. And that's a cornerstone player, and they make all the right moves. And uh, that lady, Ford, she's taken over. This is not the same old Detroit Lions. This is a first-class organization. And you know what I really like about Dan Campbell, Jason? And you'll appreciate it. Doesn't he just look like a football guy? He doesn't look like an analyst. He doesn't look like a guy that came out of the accounting department. It looks to me like if they wanted to go three tight ends, Dan Campbell can just get out there without pads. He could probably, like, block a little bit fire. He just looks and feels and sounds like a football coach. I love the guy. And I think Detroit's going to be one of the great stories. And I'm just telling you, look at their schedule. They're going to be on Monday night in a couple weeks. That could be like their showcase. Because week one, you could say that there wasn't Kelsey. They kind of, I don't think they got lucky, but they had some help. But from that point on, I think every single week, this team has just really built positive momentum.
0: Uh, thank you, Cosell. Uh, I, I hear you got a big game this weekend, Clemson and Miami. Is that right? Ugh. Is it Clemson in Miami?
2: No, it How was is this a big, big
0: game? Y'all have lost two games.
2: It's not big anymore. I know. It's just a game. It's just a trip yeah. to Miami now. Good grief. You had to bring that yeah. up. I
0: had it's, to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, maybe I'll <laughs> fly down to Miami and join you at that game. Uh, well,
2: it's a lot closer than the Inland Empire. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Promises, promises.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Steve. Great job as always. Uh, you guys keep pounding that like button and leave any comments if you're listening over Apple. Need the five star review, and I need you to write a review of this show. We got to fight the algorithms. Uh, when I come back, I'm gonna give you your daily dose of Dion uh, Buffalo. Next. Overpaid quarterbacks, previously on Fearless. I think most of these quarterbacks are overpaid, and people need to take the approach that San Francisco and Detroit have. Put a complete team around a guy. Don't <laughs> overpay him. Pay some of these other guys. They've made the game so much easier for quarterbacks. that That's what irritates me. You can't hit them. Uh... The, the receivers get to run across the middle unscathed. You can't throw you can't throw them into coverage or into big hits anymore. The the uh the head coach or the offensive coordinators in their ear. They're not responsible for knowing the entire playbook and even calling plays most of the time. These guys are overpaid. Patrick Mahomes is not overpaid.
1: I get it. Now I was about to say not let, overpaid. Let's take let's take let's take Patrick out of the equation. And now let's go to the top four that you say deserve to be paid. Let's just do the names and talk about it.
0: Well, th- th- I would go ahead and pay Joe Burrow, but already I paid. Even, I'd pay Josh Allen. Yeah, yeah, I know Josh Allen, Burrow. I, I think,
1: I, I, uh, what else you going? There's no, Aaron Rodgers. Other got, than that, you got you got, you got Trevor Lawrence I, I, I would, and, 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 and Herbert.
0: I'm not sure if I would have paid. And Herbert's got paid. Trevor Lawrence is gonna get paid. I'm not a thousand percent sure. I like what San Francisco, I like what Detroit has. I hope that if Brock Purdy you wins the what? Super Bowl, I'm, I hope I'm, he I'm goes the this. Tom Brady route. All
2: right, welcome back. Uh
0: time for your daily dose of Dion. So all the uh Dion worshipers. Uh, in the chat right now, uh, buckle up, prepare to start typing out your little.
1: Man, we're like always talking about Dion. Why are you talking about Dion?
0: Get your tissue out and start crying, uh, because I am going to talk about uh, Deion Sanders. And uh, of course, you already know. On Friday night, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes led 29 to nothing at halftime against Stanford. And then somehow lost that game, I believe, 46-43 in double overtime. Uh, you guys are wondering why, or some people are wondering, why does Whitlock talk about Dion so much? It's because Dion is important, and what he represents is is important. And it's a great topic uh, to talk about because Dion's trying to be an influencer and he's reaching young people and a lot of adults, more than young people, it's it's the adults who are the groupies and who seem to think that Dion represents something important and and what Dion is doing is important for the culture and important for black coaches and important for college football. And we all must hop on board with Dion Sanders. I'm a bit more skeptical. And it's the same type of skepticism that I had as it relates to Colin Kaepernick. Does anybody remember when Colin Kaepernick, he was so important. And Jason, how could you be critical of Colin Kaepernick? Oh, my God. He's speaking for the culture and he's going to change things. And he's what he's doing is so important. And now most people, most objective people realize the fraudulence of Colin Kaepernick. He did not represent something important. He does not think any important things. He was controlled opposition. He was a useful idiot used to promote black lives matter. That whole mindset, that whole agenda that uh, profited and benefited a handful of mostly lesbian black women and leftists. But what did Colin Kaepernick bring to the table for black men, particularly heterosexual black men. How did he benefit you and us? He did not. He did not. And Colin Kaepernick, most people can now see clown calls the NFL a slave ship or a slave plantation. But here we are six, seven years later and he's writing letters begging to get back into the NFL. I heard Charlemagne the God criticize I hate to call him the God, I'm sorry, Charlemagne the Clown on The Breakfast Club, who who was a proud Kaepernick and a proud defender of Colin Kaepernick. He's even now acknowledging that uh, Kaepernick is a clown and doesn't stand for much, and people are washing their hands of Colin Kaepernick seven years after the fact. Wouldn't it be nice to use your discernment to have a set of values that you actually believed in that allowed you to be ahead of the conversation, allowed you to uh, recognize frauds on site or shortly after they make themselves known and apparent. If you have a set of values, a worldview that's grounded in biblical faith and a biblical view of the world, You can spot the useful idiots. You can spot the frauds. You can spot the well-intentioned fools a lot earlier than everybody else. I am not that smart. The only difference between me and a lot of other people is I actually apply the values that I say that I believe in. I don't go willy nilly and go, Oh, well, because they're black, I'm not going to apply my values. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, even though everything they're doing violates what I believe in and the values that I say that, that I hold, I'm not going to throw them out the window over skin color. If you are willing to do that, it's a lot easier to spotlight, now, Colin Kaepernick, he ain't about that life. he's not about nothing real the The man won't even sit down for a legitimate interview. We're seven years into the Colin Kaepernick phenomenon, and he's never articulated a clear thought in his life. I was saying at the time I was like, they're comparing this man to Muhammad Ali, and I go, "You know how much tape there is of Muhammad Ali sitting down?" And debating the people that actually disagree with him, his whole media stick was Ali versus Howard Cosell. Cosell would actually challenge Muhammad Ali. They weren't just buddy buddy, and Howard uh, Howard Cosell just lobbing him softballs. But Ali would sit down. Malcolm X sit down and confront the actual people that disagreed with them. Colin Kaepernick exists in a bubble afraid of anyone that disagrees with him because he doesn't have a coherent argument. That's how you can spot a fraud. Someone unwilling to engage in the debate. Someone unwilling to have their thoughts challenged. That's because they're not standing on anything. And we're looking at the exact same thing with Deion Sanders. And I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but the facts are the facts. Deion may have good intentions. He might have good intentions. I never believe Colin Kaepernick had any good intentions. Colin Kaepernick just wanted an excuse and he was throwing a tantrum because he lost his starting job and his star was falling in the NFL and he decided to make himself a martyr because he allowed that Egyptian woman that he's dating. She ain't black. She's Egyptian. He allowed that Egyptian woman he's dating to talk him into some dumb stuff. All that anti-American rhetoric and BS. He allowed allowed a woman to lead him around by his nose. Some of the most unmanly stuff I've ever seen in my life. And again, I have a set of values that I believe in. When I see a man being led around by a woman, I go, well, you know what, that violates my values. I don't like that. I'm not gonna look the other way because Colin Cowherd has an afro and raises a fist and pretends to be uh, Angela Davis slash Huey P. Newton. So I wanna play you Deion Sanders' post-game press conference after blowing a 29-point lead. We're going. I'm just going to play about a two-and-a-half-minute cut from this. It's towards the end. The entire press conference after this Stanford game was not good, but the last two-and-a-half minutes were really, really telling. Let's play the clip, and then I'll explain.
3: There's a lot of things that goes on in life that's unexpected, and this is one of them. We got to... A- Knuckle up and let's go. We can't sit down and have no pity party. Y'all don't feel bad for us. Some of y'all are ecstatic about what transpired today, and I know that. But that's cool. We're gonna take this one on the chin because we deserve it. Um, twenty nine. I, I I've never been in one of these types. I I don't remember a, a. I from from youth on. I don't remember being up twenty nine nothing and losing a football game. I really don't. This is this is a little tough for me. And I'm trying my best and I thank you all for your patience and I thank you for your your heart because this is really tough for me. But you can see when I'm amping up and I kinda of see this stuff coming. You can see why I go at it like I go at it, because I could feel my team. I could feel what's about to transpire and here we go. I mean how do you guys how important are the next maybe 24 every game is important the 20, next 24 to 48 hours in terms of flushing this and moving past it well you gotta make they gotta they, they gotta what I just said in the locker room to the team is they gotta make up in their mind are they in love with this game or are they in like with it cause when you love something you give to it unconditionally you give everything you got to it but when you like it that's just the buddy you push and it lights up in a like that's what they do on social media so we got to figure out do they love it or do they like it and it's hard for me because i i i love this i i i love it i on without a shadow of a doubt i am truly 100 percent in love with this thing and i just want people to match me just match my passion match my match my heart, match my love, match my consistency, just match my mannerisms, just match every darn thing I give to this game. I love this. Sadly, I love it so much, but the game don't even occupy the ability to love you back. That's a strange love, isn't it?
2: Coach, you spoke, uh, Patrick Dawson's Cobuff Sports. sports. Uh, you spoke about struggles in the secondary. What are some things that you and the coaching staff are going to look at throughout the bye
3: week? For well, the you, you can always look at personnel, but it is what it is. It is what it is. So it was hard to look at. You Defensive backs either play to make a play or play to, 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 to stop a play from being made. I like the guys who play to make a play.
0: So... <clears throat> All of that was bad, inappropriate for a head coach, wrong message. Dion does not know what he's doing. That that is a fact. He does not know what he's doing from a leadership perspective as a head coach. He's never studied leadership. Dion has admitted that when he was a player, he was not a leader. Particularly not a vocal leader. He thought his leadership came from, I go out here and I perform on the field. Because, see, that came natural to Dion, performing on the field and being a great player. And that's as far as he went, as far as his understanding of what a leader's leader is. Hey, man, I just play. And I play at a high level, and that's my contribution to leadership. And when you're as talented as Dion, that works when you're an on-field player that works. But when you take on leadership responsibility for a hundred or so guys in a locker room, it's not just like, Hey, I, I leadership. I just show up and do me. I, I just show up and do me. I call great plays. I devise a great strategy strategy, head coach, it's a different standard. It's a different discipline than just doing your individual job at a high level, calling plays, X's and O's. What, recruit. You have to present and sell a message that brings out the best in your players on a consistent day-to-day uh, ability. Uh, what a head coach is is a lot like, a great minister or any great leader. What a great leader does is come up with a new way to say the exact same thing over and over and over again. A minister, a great one, every Sunday or every time he opens his mouth and gives a speech, his underlying message should be, a Christian minister should be, you need Jesus And he'll just come up with a new way to help you to understand you need Jesus. Football coach is messages. Basically. uh, You need each other. We all need to be in this together. We all need to be uh, focused and giving our best effort. At all times, we all need. It. He comes up with a new way to say that over and over and over again that connects and resonates with his team. Here's what really stuck out for me in Dion's post game uh, comments. He has set himself off as the standard for Colorado. It's it's Dion is the standard. That's when he goes. Match me, match my passion, match my ability to give everything, match me. I love this game. Do you? You don't lose a game after being up 29 to nothing and go into your locker room as the head coach and say, you guys need to match what I'm doing. Leadership is a coach going in there and saying, Here's what we did wrong, and we all need to be held accountable. And we all need to go home and look in the mirror and ask ourselves, What can we do to make this team better? Guys, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to sit down with myself and ask myself some very difficult questions about what it is that I did that allowed this to happen. And fellas, I want you all to go home and ask yourself because we don't ever want to feel this pain again. We don't ever want to feel like we did something that allowed this to happen. Dion's message is, What he just said, he said he said it to his team, he certainly said it to the media, is I did nothing. And if you guys would just match what I'm doing, this wouldn't have happened. Dion's overall message is clear. I am him. I am your savior. I am the perfect person. I am the gold standard that you should be trying to mirror. That's a really, really, really irresponsible and stupid message for someone who claims Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Who, who presents himself as a believer and litters part of his message with this Christian religious covering and the the fraudulence of what Dion is doing is so crystal clear for anybody to see if you take your racial idolatry glasses off and just evaluate the man's actions, what he's doing isn't built to lead to a consistent high level performance it's not sustainable what he's doing. And you could go, well at Jackson State, they did this he had far more talent than everybody else at Jackson State. He was drawing in transfers from power fives. He had a five star uh, cornerback in Travis Hunter. There's one of the top 10 high school players in the nation. They don't get that at HBCUs. He had his kid playing quarterback who was a three- or four-star recruit and able to go play at a lot of power fives but chose to play at Jackson State. He had more talent than everybody else so he could get away with bad habits. We've seen it a million times. How many guys, particularly those of you that have been involved in athletics, have seen super talented guys that didn't practice hard, didn't want to practice at all, But because they were so talented, they could show up on game days and and put in a great performance. And then they'd get in that mindset of, man, I really don't need practice. And then the next thing you know, that guy would carry that attitude. He'd be a great high school athlete because he could get away with it. Then he'd go to college and he'd have less success unless he corrected that attitude, unless he recognized like, whoa. At this level, I gotta work even harder. You know how I know that? Because I went through that experience. Great high school player that brought the wrong attitude to my first two years at Ball State and got embarrassed and humbled because of it. That's what's going on with Deon Sand. I, I was the captain of a nationally ranked high school football team that went undefeated, won the state championship, Finished, I believe, number nine in the nation. And then I carried the wrong attitude to Ball State for the first two years and rode the bench. And they tried to run me off the team because of my bad attitude. It didn't work. In coaching, what Dion got away with at Jackson State, Brittany Renner and all the other garbage, the gold chains and the me, me, me talk and all of that. It's not going to work at the power five level. And I know many of you are sitting there four and three. They, they only won one game last year. What do you mean? you are been too hard. He's not coaching the same Colorado team. He ran that team off and brought in an entirely new team. So don't, I don't really want to compare Dion to last year's team. Because he's not coaching those guys. He brought in a new set of players. Same uniforms, new players. And what I've been telling you from the beginning of this season, from all the way to the offseason, when Dion walked into that Colorado building and basically told those players, transfer, hit the portal." That was the wrong message, the absolute wrong message. And for the, again, for any of you claiming Christian values like Deon is, if you can't see that was the wrong message, I feel sorry for you. Your racial idolatry is so out of control that you are blind to facts, obvious facts. That there's... (laughs) What Stanford did to him, put up the – there's a tweet from a Stanford player that actually is from Tennessee. I think his name is Fisher Anderson. or Yeah, Fisher Anderson. I think he plays on the offensive line at Stanford. This guy tweeted out. This is right after the game. A few thoughts on last night. Good always wins out no matter how bleak it looks. When Coach Taylor, and that's Troy Taylor, the Stanford coach, got hired – He told everyone to stay and believe coach prime told everyone to leave. We are program builders. They are mercenaries. I believe in Stanford football. You should too. What I find interesting about that tweet is, and when I went to go look up Fisher Anderson, this guy is a, everything on his Twitter is about his love of Jesus Christ. He's got a set of values, and I'm sure there'll be some of you that'll look him up and and say, oh, because he's a white dude and he's a believer. Oh, he's racist. No, he's a believer with authentic Christian values that he sticks to, regardless of how much heat comes along with it. Just because you don't have those type, that type of character, those type of values, just because you don't really believe doesn't mean that this dude doesn't. There's no one Christian who should would look at a coach walk into a locker room with the message that Dion had: get, I got Louis Vuitton, you get out of here. You're not good enough. Could you, could you imagine? And I, I hate to play this game, but it's just so obvious. I'd imagine a white coach going to Jackson State and his opening message is. Hey, I'm coming in here with better players. Hit the transfer portal, get out of here. I'm bringing Louis Vuitton. How would that land? What names would we call that coach? If a coach gets embarrassed the way that Dion just got embarrassed, because Dion cost them that game, padding the stats of his son, Shadur. They're up 29-0 to zero at halftime, come out the third quarter, and I believe on fourth and three or fourth and four at nearly the 50-yard line on their first possession of the second half, they go for it and get stopped. Cut the field in half, walk uh, Stanford in for a touchdown that gives them a ray of hope. Punt the football, punt them deep. Make them burn the clock. Even if they go 80 yards and get a touchdown, they burn more time when you're up 29 to 0. The clock is your enemy, not the opponent. Dude came back in the fourth quarter trying to pad his son's stats. Went for it again on fourth and four in the fourth quarter. Cut the field in half because they didn't get it. Walked Stanford in for another touchdown. This is coaching. This is arrogance. This is someone with no humility. This is someone that thinks he's coaching a a Madden video game. This is someone not standing on firm ground. He thinks he is it. He thinks he's the standard. He's pointing to himself. Guys, be like me. There's no leader that does that. I'm sorry. Even if Dion was setting the standard. You don't don't get in front of a group of people and say, everybody needs to be like me, match me. Dion's level of self-idolatry is out of control. And those of you unwilling to call him out and criticize, those of you running to anybody that says anything about him, oh, they're racist or they're a sellout, you're contributing to the failure of Dion. Dion's not a lost cause. Everybody is capable of manning up, maturing, repenting, reevaluating, adjusting. But there's no reason to, when you have a chorus of people Screaming and yelling and rationalizing every mistake you make. No wonder he's fooled and thinks he's perfect. No wonder he thinks he is him. That's what we're telling him. No one's giving him the feedback he needs. Hey man, what you're doing won't work over the long haul. This is why I was critical. Because, again, Dion is creating a culture of no discipline and no real accountability. Because if you don't hold yourself accountable, don't be surprised when the people beneath you don't hold themselves accountable. (laughs) The Colorado Buffaloes lost that game because they had 17 penalties that were accepted. There were two or three others that didn't get accepted and or were on plays where they had two penalties, and so you could only take one of them. But they lost that game. They had 17 penalties. You know who the most penalized team is in all of college football? There's 133 schools playing Division I football. You know who the most penalized team is? Deion Sanders, Colorado Buffaloes. They're number 133. They're averaging, I believe, like 10.7 penalties per game. Last year, and I will make this comparison to the last year's team, under Carl Durrell, and yes, they went one 11, but they didn't have the kind of talent that Deion has. But they averaged 5.3 penalties per game in Colorado. Half of what Dion's team is averaging. That's coaching. That's environment. That's culture. Dion needs to be sitting in, a mirror, in front of a mirror, seven games into the season. They're on a bye week this week, asking himself, what did I do to create the most undisciplined culture in all of college football? Has all the talk of money and marketing and rappers and Hollywood celebrities and Hall of Fame football players visit? has all of that created a level of chaos and, 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 and just confusion and, and taken attention away from the main thing, getting better every day? as a football team, working in harmony and unison as a football team. Have I distracted from that with all the circus that I bring? Are the players feeding off of my energy that it ain't really about the game? It's about the sunglasses. It's about the merchandise. At halftime of... Friday night's game, up 29 to nothing. And I don't know who did it, but it came out over Shadour's Instagram or Twitter, him pushing merchandise at halftime of the game, up 29 to zero. They're sending out reminders about merchandise. And yes, maybe one of his handlers, maybe his brother who's not a football player, sent it out. But that's an indication of what the focus is at Colorado. It's not football. And you wonder why your team seven games into the season is the most penalized team in all of college football. That's coaching. The groupies, those of you worshiping at the altar of Deion Sanders, cut it out. You're harming him. It it, it would be like, would would you, if you were uh, here in Nashville and saw me at Hattie B's with a plate full of fried chicken, would you apply, that's exactly what you should do, Jason. Yeah, eat that fried chicken from Hattie B's. Oh, let me pile some more fried chicken on your plate. Or... Would you be someone who cared about me and say, hey, man, there's a salad place just around the corner. Let's go hit that. Put that fried chicken down. You, you guys are groupies. You're telling Dion, eat that fried chicken. I'm telling Dion, hey, let's go get a salad. And I know Dion ain't got the weight problem, but you get my analogy. I'm trying to shake Dion and, and tell him: hey man, this idolatry, this self-idolatry you got, it's going to kill you as a head football coach. It's going to undermine this football team. It's completely obvious. Anybody can see it. The most ten- penalized, most undisciplined team in football. Here's Dion's, again, I'm gonna go back to. Dion's main message be like me and and he's got all this swagger so they want to be like Dion that's why his son's running around flashing $40,000 watches at, at fans who, who has time to think about that before oh after the game you know I gotta have, I gotta have my watch somewhere where I can go flash it in front of in front of them and Dion's Cheerleading this so on. He's at a press conference talking about, we got to get my son a watch deal. And you're wondering why they're the most penalized team in all of college football? You're wondering why they had 17 penalties and, and went to sleep in the second half and lost to a bad Stanford team? This is horrendous leadership that anybody should have seen coming. He's been planting these seeds and doing because this ain't just one game. Every game they're penalized over and over and over again. And I, every game Deontay, well, this ain't like us. This is. He kept saying that over and I was like, no, yes, it is. This is the fruit that you're bearing. You planted these trees, these trees that produce all this lack of discipline, because your message is about you 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 you, you, and then he's telling I listened to some some friends of mine who I really respect football players at the highest level, I was listening to them talk about Dion this weekend and and they kept saying, well, you know, Dion's always been Dion, and you know Dion's just got you gotta you gotta let people be who they are, be you was part of their message and I was listening i you know. I, I, I was listening. I, I I wasn't in a position to say anything. I was just listening. But, but I, I just wanted to explain to these guys, man, that's not our mission as men in this earthly realm, just to be you. Our, the message, our purpose here is to get in alignment with God, to submit and serve to to get in line with those directives spelled out in the Bible. That's our mission. And, and Dion is someone that professes a Christian faith. That should be his message. Dion at 56 years old should understand that. I don't want to be the same guy that I was at 19. I I, I don't want to make, Prime time Christian, because prime time isn't Christian. Prime time is the guy that sang the song "Must Be the Money," and is rolling around with gold chains and watches and jewelry and thinking all of that was important. You know, you you can't bring prime time and make that part of the whole Christian deal. Prime time has to go away and submit and get in an alignment with who God wants you to be. And that's spelled out in the Bible. And so this whole be you, be yourself. That's what's most important. That is what's wrong with the world. see, when you start talking about be you, that, that's a message of you're your own individual God. You get to decide what's appropriate, and what's best for you, and what, what's important, all of that, you get to decide all that. You're God. That's what Dion has made himself, a God. And, and the, those of you that are applauding it, you've made yourself a God. You think being whoever you are is what's most important. You don't really care about what God wants you to be. That's. I know y'all get tired of the weight analogies, but again, that's how I got overweight being me and not being in alignment with God. That's how this works. When you decide to be your own God, you're on a path for destruction. And 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 so I don't care if Colorado wins their next five games and makes a bowl, and everybody calls me up and says or gets hops online, Willong was wrong. Look, Dion, they went nine and four or nine and three. And they won a bowl game. DJ Whitlock. I'm not wrong on this. I don't care how many wins they get. It's no different. Dr. Dre and these rappers have millions of dollars and are living in mansions. It don't make them right. It just speaks to how corrupt the world is. There's dope dealers, got nice cars, live in great places. There's politicians that taking money from China, taking money from big pharma, doing insider trading worth $180 million, it don't make them right. These little worldly possessions don't mean they're doing the right thing. My standard comes from the Bible and and it's not based on worldly rewards. And and financial or or otherwise, or being popular, having two million Twitter followers or whatever, that doesn't justify and doesn't make people right. And so the things I've been saying about Dion have nothing really to do with the one loss record. It's is what Dion promoting? Is what he's doing? Is it built for long term? sustainable success? Is it promoting a set of values that the kids in that locker room can take and apply to their life and live in obedience to the will of God? Those are the values that football coaches and other leaders are charged to promote. Dion's not doing that. And I know occasionally, It sounds like he does, but that is what really angers me because he's dressing it up and, and, and selling it as a part of Christianity. When the message is the antithesis of Christianity, be you, do you prime time. This is idolatry. This is self idolatry. This is making yourself a God. It's, Shadur, flaunting his wealth in front of other people. Man, I would knock my son into the middle of next week he pulls some BS like that. My father would have knocked me into the middle of next week. You doing, flashing some wealth that you ain't even really earned. It's a bad look and it's, it's, the, the, <laughs> I, the other thing that Dion is clearly, obviously doing, the, and I've already mentioned it, but I just want to go into a little bit more detail and zero in on one specific person. But this whole thing is built around Shadour, his son. This is a peewee football coach doing everything Everything to pad the stats of his son, doing everything to try to get his son in the Heisman race and at the top of the NFL draft board. And there's no one Dion is unwilling to exploit to make that happen, starting with Travis Hunter. Are you watching what's going on with Travis Hunter? Guy misses three games with a lacerated kidney comes back against Stanford and plays like nearly 140 snaps or something, something crazy, played him both ways, and then in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter, the dude was so gassed, he got ate up as a defensive back. Why is this man playing 140 snaps, coming off an injury, or really at any time? Why is he doing that? Because he needs a wide receiver that's good at yak to pad Shadur's stats. In my view. In my view. And again, take it with a grain of salt. I'm no expert on skill position players. But Travis Hunter's best position is cornerback. That's where I think he has the highest upside as an NFL player. That's where I think he could earn the most money as an NFL player. Because I think he'll be a little bit undersized uh, as a wide receiver. Maybe he's DeAndre Hopkins. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, But as a corner, I think the sky's the limit. He could be the highest-paid cornerback in the NFL. I think easier than he could be the highest-paid wide receiver. But Deion's playing both ways so that his son can pad his own stats. And everybody would see this. If Dion had less melanin, everybody would be able to see that. If Dion was a white coach and there was some black player that he was playing 140 snaps, playing both ways, particularly coming off an injury. And then you watch that kid get eight up in pass coverage in the fourth quarter. And you're sitting there going, well, hold on, man. His best position is corner, but they're playing him both ways. And, yeah, I know he got 140 receiving yards, but why is he playing so many snaps? Blah, blah, blah. Everybody would be able to see it. And everybody would say the coach is exploiting him. But because we have our racial idolatry lenses on, we don't care about Travis Hunter. We don't care about what's best for Travis Hunter. All we care about is Deion, time because we're groupies for Deion. And we don't care who gets exploited in the name of Dion. Dion is your God. And you're mad at me because he's not my God. And you're mad at me because I'm telling you, you're worshiping a false God. And you just want to enjoy, man, I just want to enjoy my football Saturdays and love Dion. And Whitlock's telling me I'm wrong for worshiping Dion Because you are. You're throwing away all these common sense values and can't see the obvious fraudulence of Dion. This man cost his team a 29-0 lead, comes into the post-game press conference, Man, these kids just got to be more like me. I nearly fell off my couch when I was watching that. The dumb stuff I saw from Dion, including at the beginning of overtime taking the ball, it makes no sense what he's doing. It's just dumb. But the times... Up 29 to 0, and you're going for it on fourth and four from the 50, just letting them back into the game. Anybody that's like, this is stupid. Everybody can see it. But because it's Dion, we're not supposed to say anything. And plus, they only won one game last year, and they've already won four. And Jason, you just hate Dion. You're jealous. You want to beat Dion? No, no, I really don't. I want you to snap out of your racial ideology. I want Dion to snap out of his self-idology. I'd like for Dion to take full advantage of this opportunity and make what he's doing at Colorado about more than Dion and his two sons. They're going, you have college coaches around the country protecting running backs and say, Hey man, we're not going to give you so many carries because we want to protect your NFL future. College coaches are doing that. It's a recruiting uh, ploy, but they're doing it to protect these kids and make sure their self-interest is served. But as it relates to Travis Hunter and Deion Sanders, Deion Sanders is got this guy out here like he's a slave, playing both ways. He, he's got an injury history. He's missed three games this season. But Dion's got him out there every chance he has. He's not protecting this kid's NFL future. That's not about preparing that kid for the NFL. That's about Dion padding Shadur's stats. And so, <clears throat> you groofies are, are, are just going to have to remain mad at me We'll Whitlock keep talking about D.I., and I love D.I., and we always tearing down the black man. Ah! I'm telling you what I'm doing. I'm trying to snap us out of this demonic cult we've joined. I'm trying to snap us out of a mindset that keeps leading to our destruction. You think sexy red and all these other rap clowns are creating a culture that benefits you? That culture of materialism? You think that benefits you? You're nuts. You're a groupie. You're embarrassing. You're an idolater. You're your own worst enemy. Let's sit around and talk about the white man and the white man this and the white man that and the white man. What about what you're doing to yourself? Throwing out common sense values that you were taught as a kid, should have been taught as an adult. Certainly if you've read any part of the Bible, you're throwing it all out over Deion Sanders. This you're letting kids buy into swagger and gold chains and all that stuff's important. That all of this stuff, Dion selling the gold chains, the sunglasses, the swagger, this is what's getting kids killed. This is what has them embracing criminality and instant gratification. But you want to hop on the Dion bandwagon because it's cool and it's the fad thing to do and it should supporting Colorado, a school that has 1% black students or whatever, supporting them, that's how you are authentically black, unapologetically black. It's the black thing to do. Retarded, <clears throat> and I apologize for saying that. I know I've had people complain about my use of the word retarded. I can't. I, I, I've used retarded for a long time. I'm. Pro- I'm I, I don't know if I ever break the habit. If it hurts your feelings, I apologize. <clears throat> so, anyway, that's uh, your daily dose of Dion. I did. We didn't play the clip, but you guys saw it uh, Saturday Night Live. Did a little skit on Dion. Uh, and some people were sending it to me and thought it was really funny. I didn't think it was all that funny, to be honest with you. I, I, I just didn't. If you saw that, that clip, uh, everyone's making a big deal. Like, Look, Saturday Night Live made fun of Dion. Look how funny this is. I, I, I didn't think it was all that funny at all. And I, I, they left too many easy jokes out. That thing could have been next level funny. They took it very easy on Dion. But they did it. Some of you will throw a Dion pity party. Uh, I'm out of breath. I'm out of time. Uh, hope you enjoyed your daily dose of Dion. We'll play tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Striking like a ladder Making all this peace for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just want to have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone i breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all deceiving We all want to be free We want freedom Wow, I want to be, I just want, wow, I want to be, I just want, wow, I want to be, I just